Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Amma ba'd Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Allahumma anfa'na bima alamtana Wa'allimna ma yanfa'una Wa'arzukna imman tanfa'una bih Amin ya rabbal alamin Alhamdulillah thumma alhamdulillah We're continuing tonight again with Bulughul Maram And we are currently in Kitabul Salah and more specifically, the Bab, Sifatul Salah, the description of the prayer. Um, when was the last week? We were busy, basically, the last few ahadith we discussed was regarding the, the tahiyat. We spoke about the tahiyat, the tashahud, and the various forms of the tashahud, the meanings of the tashahud, the virtues of the tashahud. We spoke about how, import, how much importance Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa gave the tashahud. And then we spoke about the salawat after that. Muhammad to the end of that, the different versions of it and the explanation of it and so forth. Um, and then we spoke about the dua that comes after the salawat before the taslim. Correct? We spoke about the dua that comes bef- uh, before the taslim. The du'as that are narrated. We spoke about the last dua which was Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min That was the last one, right? So it's the dua of protection from four things. The four most important things. We said if a person is protected from these four things, he will, be, he will acquire success and happiness in this dunya and in the akhirah. What are the four things that we spoke about? Jahannam. Right? Adhab Jahannam. Oh Allah, I seek protection in you from the torment of Jahannam. Of the akhirah, basically. Of, the, of, of, of hell. And from the torment of the grave, which we explain to be the, the barzakh, right? What happens in the, the barzakh, which is the next life between the life of this dunya and the akhirah, right? So there's torment over there, and there's also delight over there, which we spoke about. And then, from the fitna, the test, the trials, the tribulations of mahya wal mamat. Life and death. We explain what this means. Right? Throughout life there is tests. Tests could either be, we said, a shubha or shahwa. It's either a doubt, confusion that you are unsure about certain things. You are, your understanding of the deen, for example, is not there. There's something blocking your understanding. This is a shubha. Or it could be shahwa. Your desire is, is, is taking you away from following the correct understanding. For example... You understand the deen correctly. You understand halal and haram, what's right and wrong. What's the correct aqidah. You know what's right, but it's not in line with your desires. Or your desire is more in line with something else, like fame, like uh, power, like authority. So you follow something else and so forth. This is a fitna of of life that this person is falling into. We want to be protected from all of these things. Right? Walmamat and the fitna of death. The fitna of death we explain to mean before and after death. So we want a good death, right? So we want a death that, that's upon khayr, that's upon iman and so forth. We want to die in a good way. Because the hadith says that you will be resurrected the way that you die. So we want to die in a good way, in a nice way, in a calm manner, with the shahada on our, on our lips. And after death is also fitna which we spoke about. The questioning in the grave and so forth. This is what we are asking Allah to protect us from. 
fitnatil mahya wal mamat wa min sharri fitnatil masihid dajjal sharri is included this time the sharri was not mentioned uh, after number 3 so allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adhab jahannam wa min adhab al qabr wa min fitnatil mahya wal mamat wa min sharri fitnatil masihid dajjal then from the evil sharr means evil right sharr means evil from the evil fitna of the dajjal the antichrist from the and we spoke about the dajjal him being the deceiver and the, the, the person of trickery and so forth and he will mislead many people and he will come with miracles and so forth and this is one of the greatest tests that will face mankind as every prophet warned the people against the coming of the dajjal طيب, um, so we seek Allah's refuge against the Dajjal, that we do not fall for the tricks, for the misguidance and so forth, right? And the true believers will be able to see through. They will be able to realize this is not haq, this is not righteousness, this is something wrong. The people of the true aqeedah, true belief in Allah, true tawheed and so forth, they will be saved from this. And eventually the Dajjal will be killed, right, by... By Imam Mahdi. Isn't it Imam Mahdi? Is it Imam Mahdi or Imam Nabi Isa alayhi salam? Nabi Isa alayhi salam will come back. He will destroy the cross. And apparently we'll just look at Tajjal and Tajjal will turn into dust. Question, maybe mm-hmm. after the stupidity and Dajjal. Yes, is it a choice that he took in life or was Allah created? Or did Allah create the Dajjal for this purpose? Um, Allah knows best. Was he created? Allah knows best. Ooh, ooh. Uh, that detail, I don't know. <clears throat> um. I'm convinced it's Imam Mahdi. Anyways, we know that Imam Mahdi will come. Right? And what do we know about Imam Mahdi? He's on the lineage of the Prophet He will be a righteous man. And he will come towards the end of time. Right? And what will he do? He will basically be a reformer. Right? He will come and he will reform the people. Um, and the earth and the earth basically will become filled again with justice and so forth just like it was filled with oppression and wrongdoing what else do we know about the Mahdi? what will his name be? Ahmed okay his name is the name of the Prophet right? he's Muhammad the son of Abdullah Al-Mahdi, the same name that the Prophet had, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, 
Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. That will be his name. Muhammad ibn Abdullah al-Mahdi. And some say Ahmad. Some say, because that's also one of the Prophet's names. Ahmad. Right? And his lineage goes up to Fatima bint Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he's from the lineage of Hassan. He's from the, the offspring of Hassan. Right? Obviously the daughter of, I mean, the son of the daughter of the Prophet Fatima. So, how do we know when he comes? Basically, there will be, it will be a time of corruption. Facade will be widespread. Okay? And this, the earth will be filled with all types of corruption and oppression and transgression and so forth. Right? And then the Imam Mahdi will, will basically come. And this is one of the signs of the hour. That the coming of Imam Mahdi is one of the one of the signs of the hour, just like the coming of Dajjal is one of the major signs of the hour. One of the major signs of the hour is, um, is the Dajjal, right? So, they will actually come at the same time. Imam Mahdi and Rabbi Isa salam, will come at the time of the Mahdi. So the Mahdi basically will be at the time like the Imam of the people. He will be the Amir, and Isa alayhi salam will then, um, <coughs> he will then come at this time. So this proves that, Nabi Isa, that the Mahdi will come just before um, Nabi Isa, right? So when Isa alayhi salam comes, this is when he will basically kill the Dajjal. So it is Nabi Isa that kills the Dajjal. Taib. Um. Inshallah, it's Isa alayhi salam that will kill the Dajjal. Um, so we move on to the next hadith. We move on to the next hadith, which is narrated by Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Radiyallahu anhu, annahu qala li rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Abu Bakr, what's his name? What is the name of Abu Bakr? Is it Abu Bakr? We know him as Abu Bakr. That's his kunya. Right? Just like you are Abu Maryam. That's your kunya. Okay? He was Abu Bakr. He was called this for a reason. But his name was Abdullah ibn Uthman. He was Abdullah, the son of Uthman. Abdullah, the son of 
Uthman and what do we know about him we know that he was the best of all of the Sahaba and the most beloved to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he was also the father-in-law of Rasulullah as his daughter was his daughter was Aisha radiallahu anha the beloved wife of the Prophet sallam so they were the best of friends and they were old friends and they eventually became related in this way. What else do we know about him? The first Khalifa. Sorry? Oh, yes, okay, generous. Definitely he was known for his generosity as it, the time came when they needed wealth in the Ummah. And Umar ibn Khattab came and he gave half of his wealth. 50% he gave it for the cause of the Ummah. And Abu Bakr came with 100%. Every single thing. And Umar anhu said, Wallahi, we will never be able to outdo this man, this Abu Bakr. It's, it's impossible that somebody can outdo him for what he does for the Ummah. Um, and there are so many virtues of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. One day the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he said, Who from amongst you has given sadaqah today? So Abu Bakr said, Ana, me. And then he said, Who from amongst you has given has visited a sick person today. Sahaba were quiet. Abu Bakr said, Ana. Who from amongst you today followed a janazah to, the, to its burial? Sahaba were quiet. Abu Bakr said, Ana. And the Prophet liked this. He asked questions. Who from amongst you did this today, on this day? And Abu Bakr kept saying, Ana. Somehow he found time. He provided for widows. He gave charity to the poor. He visited his family. He visited the sick. He followed janazas. He was in the masjid five times a day. There was time in his day to do all of these hasanat. And the Prophet praised him extensively. And he was the, the, the true khalifa of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it's known that when people used to praise him, people used to praise him, he used to recite a dua. He used to say, Allahumma, La tu'akhidni bima yaqulun. Waghfir li ma la ya'lamun. Waja'alni khayram mimma yadhunnun. People used to praise him. You know, because he was Abu Bakr. The closest to the Prophet And he became the Khalifa. The first Khalifa after the Prophet Whenever he was praised, you say, Allah, do not take me, do not keep me responsible for what they're saying about me. And, make, and forgive me for what they don't know about me. And make me better than what they think about me. This was the dua of Abu Bakr. Oh Allah, don't, make, don't take me and make me responsible for what they're praising me, for what they're saying about me. And forgive me for what they don't know about me. And make me better than what they think about me. And that's such a beautiful dua. And it shows the humility of Abu Bakr. So Abu Bakr was also the first person to accept Islam after the Prophet was sent as a messenger. He was the first person who accepted Islam. Some people say it was Khadija, others say it was Waraka bin Nawfal, right? He was a priest. But Waraka, the actual thing is that Waraka accepted Islam, he knew that the Prophet ﷺ was a prophet as a youngster already. 
As a young man, he knew. He knew so signs. So he knew because he knew previous scriptures. Hence he knew this man is a prophet. But yet, the Prophet hadn't received wahi yet. He wasn't yet sent as a messenger officially. Remember, this only happened at the age of 40. So Waraka knew already, but he died before this. And he said to the Prophet basically, if that day comes and I would be there with you, I would support you, knowing that this man is going to be the messenger of Allah. So some say it was Waraka. But the correct view is that Waraka became, he was the first to know about prophethood. Right? But he didn't live until that wahi was, was basically sent. The first to accept after he received wahi was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu And why is he known as as-Siddiq? The truthful. The truthful, the Siddiq of the Ummah. He's known as the Siddiq because of his true faith. Siddiq, that, that trueness of his belief, number one. Right? Um, and he had no doubts about Islam, the Quran, nothing. He was the true Siddiq of the Ummah. The unbreakable. Understand? He believed the Prophet ﷺ from day one. The moment he came, he believed. The first one. And there was no, no doubt about it to him. It was at 100%. Right? Um, yet the other people initially, they had to be convinced, you know? see some more signs or they accepted later on and so forth Abu Bakr immediately first one also he is referred to as Siddiq because of the no of the what happened after the Isra and the Mi'raj what happened was is the Prophet was taken from um, Mecca all the way to Baytul Maqdis in Palestine by Abu Raq Right? Um, and he traveled through the heavens. Long story. Right? He traveled through the heavens. Through each heaven he came. Beautiful story. Right? Jibreel alayhi salam, he came and he prayed in, in Masjid al-Aqsa. And then he ascended from there to the first heaven. When he came to the first heaven, the malaika, the doors of the heavens are shut. Malaika said, Who is there? So Jibreel said, Ana, it's me. And with me is Muhammad. And the Malaika said, um, <clears throat> What have you come for? And basically, we have come uh, as a visitor, you know. And he said, And the Malaika opened up and they say, Marhaban bikum, fani'mal Welcome to you, and what an honorable visit. And Jibreel and the Prophet go into Jannah. And as they go through Jannah, they see Adam. And the, Jibreel says, this is your father, Adam. Salim alayhi. Send him your salam. And he greets him. And Adam responds to him. Wa alaykum salam. My beloved son. Um, and then he goes to the second heaven. And the same thing happens. Malaika say, who is this? Jibreel. And with me is Muhammad. Fani'mal What a beautiful welcoming. This is an honorable welcome. And they open up the gates. And he goes forth. And he meets the second prophet. And he goes to the third heaven. Again, the malaika say, who is there? It's Jibreel. And with his Muhammad. What a beautiful coming. And they open up. And he enters the third heaven. And he meets another prophet. The fourth heaven. And he meets, I think, Idris. The fifth heaven. Musa. The sixth heaven. Or the sixth heaven is Musa, alayhi salam. The seventh heaven. Ibrahim, alayhi salam. Ibrahim, alayhi salam, greets him. 
my honorable son, and they basically <coughs> have a small discussion. He says to the Prophet, convey my salams to your ummah. Convey my salams to your ummah. And tell them that the, the, the promise of Allah is true. Tell them that the promise of Allah is true. And the seeds of Jannah is to make tasbih of Allah. To glorify Allah Azza wa Jal. And then he goes up and he goes into the beyond when no person can pass. Till they get to the Sidratul Muntaha. And Jibreel then stops and says, I am not allowed to pass beyond this point. And the Prophet passes through and he speaks to Allah Azza wa Jal directly. <coughs> and he speaks to Allah Azza wa Jal directly. And this is where the Salah is given to him directly. Without Jibreel. The only obligation that's given to the Prophet without the intervention of Jibreel. All the other commandments come from Allah to Jibreel to the Prophet This comes from Allah straight to the Prophet Fifty salawat in each day. As the Prophet is coming back, he meets Musa again in the sixth heaven. What were you instructed with, O Muhammad? I, I was instructed with 50 salah for my ummah. Musa says to him, go back to Allah and ask Allah to make it less because by Allah I have tried and tried with the Bani Israel and these people are not going to cope I tried with insan I know 50 salah a day for them not going to work ask Allah to make it less he goes back Allah can you make it less 40 or 45 back to Musa back to Allah the same process up and down until it came to 5 salah he comes back to Musa and Musa alayhi salam says, five is too much. Ask Allah to make it less. And the Prophet says, no, that's enough. I am too shy to ask Allah to make it less. And they will cope with five. And Musa alayhi salam is also crying. As the Prophet passes him, he cries. And he says, what causes you to cry? He says, because I wish that my ummah would be the largest ummah that would enter Jannah. But I know that your ummah will be the biggest ummah. The Ummah of the Prophet And this caused Musa to, to cry because he wanted his followers to be, you know, the biggest that he had brought to Jannah. But the Prophet of course outdoes him and he brings a bigger Ummah um, to Jannah. Then, all the way down he goes, he also sees the people of Hellfire. Jibreel, who is this? People that are scratching their faces open. Huh? And these are basically the, the people who would spread tales about each other and about others and so forth. That's a Jannah. Jahannam, right? Anyways, he goes back to Baytul Maqdis, back onto the Buraq and back to Makkah. When he gets to Makkah, he, he comes and he meets Abu Jahl. And Abu Jahl says to him, where did you come from? He says, I came from Baytul Maqdis. And Abu Jahl, he was like, Bait al-Maqdis in Palestine. And he said, yes. And Abu Jahl then scoffed at this. And he called the people. He said, come everybody, come listen to this. Made a big gathering. Listen to what Muhammad is saying. Those of you who listen to him, who actually follow him, come listen to what he's saying. He says he came from Bait al-Maqdis. Are you saying this? Yes, I'm saying I came from Bait al-Maqdis. And to them, this was, the, this was the proof against him. 
You know, they never had anything. Now it was like, now you can see he's a madman. This was the evidence to use against him. And many of them scoffed against him and laughed into it. Right, he is definitely crazy. Wallahu musta'an. Until one man they brought and he said, we know you've never left the Arabian Peninsula. Right, it's known he was brought in Makkah, born in Makkah and he was raised in Makkah. But we've been to Palestine, so describe Palestine to us. Describe it. We know you've never been there. Since you claim you went there overnight, which is impossible, describe uh, you know, it to us. And the Prophet described it as it is, exactly as it is. And this was again a shock to their system because this was not what they were expecting. They thought this was a trump card against him, but he then described it exactly as it was. Um, and when they went to Abu Bakr, did you hear what your companion is saying? What is he saying? Abu Bakr did not even know what happened yet. What's he saying? He claims he went to Baitul Maqdis last night and he came back. What do you have to say about this? Abu Bakr says, if that's what he said, then I believe it. If that's what he said, then it's the truth. This is al-Siddiq. This is something impossible for them. It took them months to get to Baitul Maqdis and months to get back. For someone to travel through the night and come back and go journey to the heavens and back was crazy. This was beyond their understanding. The one man who stood firm, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he said, if he said this, then that is the truth and that's what I believe. And this is why he's al-Siddiq. The truthful one, the one who had no doubts. He, sorry, he had absolutely no doubts in the Prophet in the trustworthiness of the Prophet and in the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal. And honestly, the, the virtues of Abu Bakr, really, we can go on and on and on. There was a, <coughs> what happened was is, one day the Prophet was making salah at the Kaaba, and the Mushrikun were waiting for him. And in the salah, they started to beat him with their shoes. You know, those hard wooden shoes and so forth, they used to beat him. And who came to his aid? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And he shielded the Prophet And they beat him until he fainted. Blood gushed out of his head until he fainted. And Abu Bakr was an honorable man. He was from an honorable tribe and family. Until his tribe came over and protected him and threatened the rest of these Qurayshis to say, if you touch him again, then we are going to, we are going to retaliate against you because they were also from a powerful tribe. When Abu Bakr was taken home, He's brought home to his mother and he's unconscious. They thought he's died. Literally, they thought he was dead, bleeding out. As he wakes up eventually, hours later, the first thing he asks is, where is Muhammad? What happened to Muhammad? What happened to the Prophet? And his mother at the time was not a believer. And she said to him, relax, you, are, you know, we need to sort you. He said, Take me to Muhammad. And she said to him, no, you are fine. We, he's fine. We, he said, take me to Muhammad. And his mother and I think it was his sister or another woman had to then, you know, support him as he walked to the house of the Prophet to make sure that he's okay. When he got there, he asked the Prophet to make dua for his mother. The Prophet made dua for his mother <coughs> and Allah guided her to accept Islam eventually. So Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu is the Siddiq of the Ummah. He is the Siddiq of the Ummah 
and his daughter is the Siddiqa of the Ummah. Siddiqa bint Siddiq. Right? The truthful, the daughter of the truthful one. <coughs> and as we know, her status as well, it's well known. Allah Azza wa sent her innocence through the Quran. The most beloved to the Prophet whomsoever denies her greatness or his greatness, he must be a munafiq. And if he accuses them of kufr, then he himself is a kafir, a murtad out of the deen of Islam. This is the ruling on anyone who curses Abu Bakr or Aisha, the Siddiqa bint al-Siddiq. Because their status is, un- is unparalleled. Their status is agreed upon according to all Muslims. So whoever curses him, he is cursed and <coughs> we say he's out of all of Islam, in fact. So Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, what happened in this hadith? He said to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, علمني دعاء أدعو به في صلاتي. He said to the Prophet teach me a dua that I can make in my salah. Teach me a dua that I can recite in my salah. So the first thing Ibn Uthaymin says here is first and foremost look at this dua and the importance of this dua. Look who's asking and look who's who is he asking. Who's asking for the dua? Abu Bakr. The best of the best. After if you have a line of the Anbiya, they're the best of the best who walk the earth, right? No one can touch the Anbiya because they are the chosen men of Allah. After the Anbiya, the best man who walked this earth is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. And then Umar ibn Khattab. And then Uthman ibn Affan. And then Ali ibn Abi Talib. This is after the Anbiya comes these four men. This man says to who, the best man of all time, علمني دعاء أدعو به في صلاتي. Teach me a special dua. Teach me a dua that I can make in my salah. This alone tells us that there must be something special about this dua. If Abu Bakr is requesting something special from his most close friend, what did the Prophet say about him? As a messenger of Allah, I'm not allowed to take a khalil. But had I taken a khalil, who would the khalil be? My Khalil would be Abu Bakr. That would be my closest, closest companion. It would be Abu Bakr. Right? And Allah speaks about him in the Quran. The two of them that hid in the cave. When they said to his companion, لا تحزن إن الله معنا Don't fear, Allah is with us. Don't fear, Allah is with us. When they hid in the cave through the hijrah. What did, those, what did the Shia say about this? The Shia say, the Prophet ﷺ Console Abu Bakr because he was scared, he was a coward. What's the haq? The haq is Abu Bakr was protecting the Prophet, and the only fear he had was is if they catch him, they catch the Prophet. This man was the furthest thing from a coward. He was only worried about the life of Rasulullah, not his life, not his well being. As we saw in the incident of the Kaaba, how he gave his life to protect him. First thing he did when he woke up, take me to Muhammad, I need to check if he's okay. So this is how the munafiqeen, and the Shia are munafiqeen. This is how they twist the things, you know, to, to make it seem the way they make it seem. But, he was not fearful. But Allah says in the Quran that he said to his companion, لا تحزن إن الله معنا. Don't worry, Allah is with us. Allah's assistance, his aid, his protection is with us. 
This was the two, the close companions of each other. So the dua that he gives him must also be something special. The dua that he will give Abu Bakr will be something special, something all-inclusive, something that is really powerful. Um, <clears throat> so what is this dua? Do we know the dua? The dua that Abu Bakr was given? Tayyip, the dua is... <clears throat> اللهم إني ظلمت نفسي ظلما كثيرا ولا يغفر الذنوب إلا أنت فاغفر لي مغفرة من عندك وارحمني إنك أنت الغفور الرحيم. Okay, this was the dua that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم taught Abu Bakr to recite in his salah. اللهم اللهم إني ظلمت نفسي. What does this mean? Again, it's important that we know what we are saying if we recite these du'as in the salah. Right? So it's very important that we know the meaning of the du'as. Oh Allah, Allahumma. Oh Allah, inni zalamtu nafsi. I indeed have wronged myself. Zalamtu, zulm. Means transgression or wrongdoing. I have wronged myself. I have transgressed against my, I have oppressed myself. Right? How does one wrong oneself? How do you wrong how do you wrong yourself? How do you by sinning, right? What does Allah say in Surah Al-Talaq, the first ayah? Allah says, Whomsoever transgresses or goes beyond the boundaries of Allah has oppressed or wronged himself. Zalama nafsa. Zalama, zulm, has wronged himself. The boundaries of Allah are set, right? Inside of the boundaries, that's where we need to be. We are not allowed to go beyond the boundary. The moment we go beyond the boundary, we are in haram. So all the sins are around that boundary. You go over the boundary, you are now into sin. So once we commit haram, Allah says you have wronged yourself. You have oppressed yourself. You have transgressed against your own nafs. Right? You are you harming through your sin? Yourself. Who are you making things bad for? Yourself. Who are you bringing bala upon? And you know like tests and calamities upon? Yourself. This is how it works. The more we sin, the more evil we bring upon ourselves. And the more goodness we keep away from ourselves. This is the nature of sin. So that's one angle of wronging yourself. The moment you enter into anything haram, whether it's your wealth, whether it's your... Looking at haram, listening to haram, touching haram, um, anything, speaking about haram, you have transgressed against the boundaries of Allah or beyond the boundaries and therefore you have wronged yourself. From another angle is that you don't fulfill your wajibat. If you leave out your wajibat, you are wronging yourself. You don't wear your hijab the way it's supposed to be worn, you are wronging yourself. If you don't make salah the way you're supposed to make salah, you don't make salah on time, etc., you are wronging yourself, right? This is all enters into um, wronging oneself, wronging your nafs, transgressing against your nafs. Understand? So what do we say in this dua? Allahumma inni, oh Allah, I have wronged myself. Zulman kathiran. Zulman kathiran. Describing the wrong. This is now a description of the, the wrong that we have committed. But what does it mean? 
I have wronged, I have transgressed myself with lots of oppression, with lots of wrong. Zulman kathiran. With lots of transgression, lots of oppression, lots of wrong, basically. It's a rough translation. Okay? And here Ibn Uthaymin says that this is the reality. This is the reality. Insan is an oppressor of his nafs. We all oppress our nafs. Nobody, can, nobody is actually spared from this. Forget the sin that we commit. Take our sins away for one moment. Besides our sins, which is bad enough, that's already, you know, that's just, in fact, it's not bad enough. That is just adding to the bad that we already have within us. What about our obedience to Allah? Is it up to scratch? Is it up to standard? When we stand in the musalla, what does Allah want from us? Allah wants a certain standard of worship, right? Whose worship is up to standard? Who from amongst us can say that when we worship Allah, we worship Him with ihsan, with perfection, with, you know, with complete devotion, with complete concentration, without our minds wandering around, without you know, laziness, without thinking about something else, without regret sometimes, without being forced sometimes, without riya sometimes, showing off, without doing it to please other people sometimes. Who from amongst us is completely safe from this? Can we say we are safe from this? For sure, can we say? I know I am not a show off. I know I'm not trying to impress anybody. Can we say 100%? The reality is we don't know. And who from amongst us, you know, our ibadat and so forth is really up to scratch. I don't think any of us can say that it is there where it's supposed to be. That is already wronging yourself. You understand? That is us already wronging ourselves. This is already enough as a proof against us that we are not up to standard as worshippers of Allah in terms of our obedience to Allah. Add to that all of the sins. Add to that all of the sins. Now where do we stand? You understand? Now how righteous are we? How good really are we? You know? Subhanallah. So this is what the point the Sheikh is making. And this is why when we say this dua, it's such a powerful dua because we are acknowledging the reality. We are acknowledging our true status. That we are wronging ourselves with plenty of wrong. Zulman kathiran. Kathir, we know what kathir means, right? Kathir means lots, plenty. So what type of wronging? We are not people who, we only wronged ourselves a little bit today. You know, not so bad today. Today was a good day. Even your good day, inshallah. We have many good days. But even those good days, we are wronging ourselves in many ways. If you think about so many things, subhanallah, um, our time. Imagine Allah asks us about our time. You know, what, what did you spend? Your, Allah has given us time as a ni'mah. Where did you spend your time? How did you spend your time? Was it spent in the way of Allah? Was it spent in the dunya? Was it spent wasting time? Imagine we get asked about time. You've been alive for how many years now? 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 60 years, 70 years. How many of that years was spent in sin? How many was spent in wrong? Just in time wasting in general? Wasting time in, in worthless things? And how many of that time was spent for the sake of Allah? This is something we can be... Imagine Allah asks us. You know, that is enough to think, subhanallah, our time. Ya Rabb. So, when we say this dua, we are now acknowledging our true status. We are wronging ourselves daily. Zulman 
kathiran with lots of wrong with plenty of wrong right with extreme wrongs and this is this this and now we see the power of the dua we'll see the, how this dua comes together and the power of the dua because this part of the dua this beginning part of the dua what is it right what is it it's that part where we acknowledge ourselves that we are sinners that we have oppressed ourselves that we are wronging ourselves so we acknowledge ourselves as being weak as being people who are in need of Allah and the forgiveness of Allah so we start off the dua by saying acknowledging our weakness acknowledging our flaws acknowledging our sins this is the first thing we turn to Allah with oh Allah I have wronged myself with lots of wrong I have wronged myself with lots of wrongdoings. I have oppressed myself with so much oppression. This is the way it starts. You, you, you are now humbling yourself. Understand? You are now belittling yourself. Showing your state, your true status. This is our true status. We are slaves of Allah. The most perfect. So the first thing we do in this dua is we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our true status. Right? Zulman kathiran. The next part says, "Wala yaghfiru zunuba illa ant." What does this mean? Not yet. Wala yaghfiru zunub, and none can forgive sins illa anta, except for you. There is none that can forgive sin except for you. So this part of the dua is now. Praising Allah. We started off with acknowledging our weakness, our sins, our true status, humbling ourselves, belittling ourselves. Now we move on to the next part of the dua, which is we're praising Allah. We are now extolling Allah. We are now glorifying Allah by saying, and none can forgive those wrongs, those sins, except for you. Except you, O Allah. Right? Now we turn to praising Allah. And this is the, the haqq, of course. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Quran? فَاسْتَغْفِرُوا لِذُنُوبِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَغْفِرُوا الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And who is there that can forgive sin except for Allah? Allah says, who is there that can forgive sin other than Allah? Right? Obviously there is none. There is nobody that can forgive our sins except Allah. Right? So we are acknowledging this point and praising Allah upon this point. That there is none that can basically forgive us except Him. Now, would you see how this two comes together? Acknowledging, number one, we are extremely weak. How are we going to be saved from our sins? Who can save us from our sin? We've dug a hole, we've put ourselves in a hole. That hole is our sins. Who can take us out of that hole? Who can possibly get us out of that hole? Who can save us from this hole that we are drowning in our sins? The only one is Allah. It's only if we turn to Allah with tawbah, with istighfar, that He forgives us, that we become saved, we be pulled out of that hole. And this is the acknowledgement that we are making to Allah. Ya Allah, we have wronged ourselves so much, so much, and there is nobody who can forgive us, or save us in this instance, except you. Except you. Understand the difference? So on the one hand, we belittle ourselves, and then we praise Allah Azza wa Jal. We raise Allah's rank. We are showing Him 
that we are in dire need of him. That there's none who can help us to save us um, but him. Right? <clears throat> then, we, then the dua comes. Then comes the dua. Faghfirli. Now you are asking Allah for something. Faghfirli. So forgive me. The beginning parts, the first part was acknowledging your status, your weak status. The second part was acknowledging Allah's great status that is none that can forgive but Him. Now the third part is what the dua part. Faghfirli. So forgive me. What does istighfar mean? What does maghfira mean? Forgiveness. It means what? Number one, covering up the sin and um, overlooking the sin basically or wiping the sin out. Right? Wiping your slate clean. So number one is that you are concealed, you are veiled as a sitir or sitir, satir veils the sin. And secondly, that he forgives or he overlooks or he pardons or he wipes out the sin basically. Right? فَغْفِرْلِي مَغْفِرَةً مِنْ عِنْدِكَ فَغْفِرْلِي مَغْفِرَةً مِنْ عِنْدِكَ What does this mean? Forgive me with a forgiveness from you. With your forgiveness. With a forgiveness that comes from you. Right? And this is this this already tells us um, that this is something special you're asking Allah for. It comes from Him. You know, if I ask you to forgive me, I wronged you, I did something against you, it was wrong, you know, we had a, a fallout or something. I ask you forgiveness, it's one thing. But you are asking Allah for what? His forgiveness that comes from Him. Something more special. You understand? Something great. Uh, ya Allah, forgive me with the forgiveness that comes from you. Yani, there's something special about this. You know? That, that comes from you. That's with you. We are asking for that special forgiveness. Warhamni. And have mercy on me. And have mercy upon me. Or bestow your mercies upon me. And this is what each person is in need of. We are in need of the forgiveness of Allah. And that all-encompassing mercy of Allah. The Sheikh says one ex- uh, that um, when we ask Allah for forgiveness, we are asking Him to forgive us from all our past sins, those sins that we committed already. Whether it was just done a few minutes ago, whether it was done years ago, it doesn't make a difference. When we ask Allah to forgive us for those sins, it's for all that happened in the past. When we ask Him now for mercy as well, what do we ask Him for? Have mercy on us, meaning... That we don't end up like that again. We don't go back to those sins again. To protect us from the future sins. You understand? And this is the, the hikmah in these two words coming together. Forgive me, meaning for what has passed. And have mercy upon me, meaning in the future. That I don't go back to those sins. That you protect me from those sins. You see the, 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 the connection between the two? Between asking Allah to forgive you and to have mercy on you. You are asking Allah here to what? For his forgiveness and for his mercy. The forgiveness part we are saying, forgive me a special forgiveness from you, meaning from all that has passed. Warhamni and have mercy upon me, referring to the future. That I don't end up in those sins again. Why don't become a bad person again? Why don't go back to becoming a sinner again? Protect me from that, you know, through your mercy. This is, this is how it basically fits in. Right? إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Indeed, you are Al-Ghafoor Al-Rahim. The oft or all-forgiving and 
the merciful and the merciful or the compassionate you know the difference in the translations right and now again what's the hikmah in this this is what dua through the names and attributes of Allah isn't it so right we know this very well we do this every Tuesday Allah says what وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُوهُ بِهَا to Allah belongs the most beautiful of names so call upon him through those names this is an example of that we have asked Allah for mercy and forgiveness. Now we mention his names. You are the Ghafoor, you are the Rahim. Right? We want your forgiveness and your mercy because you are Ghafoor Rahim. You with me? So this is a type of dua through the names and attributes of Allah as well. This is a type of dua through the names and attributes of Allah as well. And here you can now see the power of this dua. It's a simple dua. It's easy to understand. It's easy to memorize. Right? But wallahi, it's a beautiful dua. And it's a powerful dua. When you commit a sin and you make this dua, you should know what you are saying. Ya Allah, I wronged myself so much. With so much wrong. When you say that, you say that feeling those sins with regret. You know, I just did this. I just did that. I just fell into this. You say that dua at this special, this part, this part, feeling those sins, knowing what you did, you know, was wrong. Knowing that heedlessness that you came out of, oh Allah, I wronged myself with so much wrong. And you think about those sins. You feel those sins, right? Then what do we say? Nobody can forgive me except you. Who's going to forgive me other than you? Who can I turn to other than you? Who can save me other than you? So forgive me with that mercy from yourself. Forgive me with that mercy that comes from you. Warhamni and protect me. Have mercy upon me in the future that I don't go back, that I be saved. You are indeed the all-forgiving and the most merciful or the most compassionate. Understand? So this is the dua that he taught his beloved Abu Bakr. And it's an extremely beautiful dua. And one of the best du'as to make when you make tawbah, when you make istighfar. One of the best. When, what's the best istighfar? Sayyidul istighfar. Right? The hadith says about Sayyidul istighfar, which we say in the morning and evening. Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant khalaqtani wa ana abduk wa ana ala ahdika wa wa'adika ma istata'at. That du'a. Right? A'udhu bika min shari ma sana'at. Bulaka bin i'matika alayhi wa bulaka bin dhanbi. Faghfilli ma... Faghfilli... Faghfilli... No, that's in this dua. That's in this dua. Maghfiratan min indik is in this one here. Right? What's that? What does that mean? Forgive me for there is none that can forgive except you. Similar to this wording here. Who can forgive except you? None can forgive me except you. Similar wording. Similar wording. That dua also includes a lot of this dua here, meaning you acknowledge your sin. Abu huh? I, I acknowledge my your favors upon me, and I acknowledge my sins unto you. You acknowledge your sin. means I seek protection in you that I go in, in what I did of evil. Meaning that you don't go back to the evil. That Allah protects you from the effects of those sins and so forth. You see? So the, both of these duas, there are similarities in it. That you are, and it teaches us how to make dua. Man. It teaches us how to turn to Allah, meaning acknowledge your sin to Allah. 
Show Allah that you acknowledge it. Show Allah that you regret it. Show Allah that you are trying to be protected from it. And also praise Him extensively and show Him that I can't turn to none but you. No one can save me but you. No one can forgive me but you. No one can pardon me but you. This, uh, this is how we make dua. Then we say, Faghfidli. Oh Allah, forgive me. Or forgive me for none can forgive but you. Or forgive me with a special forgiveness from you. And have mercy upon me. Inna ka anta al rahim Right? So this is a powerful dua. When do we say this dua? Right? So, <clears throat> if we look at the wording of the hadith, it says, Teach me a dua that I can make in my salah. In my salah, specifically. So, most of the scholars say it, it applies to just before the taslim as well. Right? Because we know that's a time for dua. That's a specific time for dua. As we explained last week, Allah ma'ini a'udhu bikum min adhabi jahannam, min adhabi al-qabr, min fitnati al-mahiyya wal-mamad, min shari fitnati al-mahsih al-dajjal. That we see it as a fard. Remember? Most scholars say it's a fard, so don't leave it out. Once you're done with that, you can turn to this, for example. So you'd say that one, now you can add on to this and say, Allahumma inni zalamtu nafsi dhulman kathiran, wa la yakhruzunu ba illa anta, faghfir li maghfratan min indik, warhamni innak anta al-ghafur rahim. And then, is that it? Is that it? Then you can make another dua, and another dua, and, a, and there are more duas that have been narrated from the sunnah to make on this occasion, as well. You understand? And I think if you turn to Sheikh Albani's book that you have, you should find it in there. A number of the du'as that have been narrated in the sunnah to make before the taslim. Right? There's another one for forgiveness. Allahumma anta Allahu al-ahad. Al-samad. Alladhi lam yadi wa lam yulad wa lam yakullahu kufuan ahad. Right? And then you ask Allah for to forgive you and so forth. That's another one that has been narrated in hadith to say in this, this sitting over here. Another example the Prophet used to say is, um, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-ma'thami wal-maghrami. Which means, oh Allah, I seek protection in you from major sin and major debt. Major sin and major debt. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-ma'tham wal-maghram. Oh Allah, I seek protection in you from major sin and major debt. That's another one narrated to say in this occasion over here. And there are others as well. I think, Rabbi qini adabak, ibadak. My Lord, protect me from your sins on the day that you resurrect your slaves. That's another one to say. And so forth. Right? Then you get, Allah ma'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. I spoke about this before. With the ulama differ when it should be said. Some say it should be said this time. Some say after the taslim. Right? Difference of opinion. On that, I spoke about that in detail already. The point is, you can do some more research on this and find more du'as that have been narrated in the sunnah to say at this point over here. So you can say the first one, which we should say, the one of protection, uh, protecting from the four things. This is a very important one. And then you can add on to that. You don't have to say this every salah. But the more, the better, right? And then after that, you can also make du'a for whatever your heart desires. Whatever your heart desires in this look, in this position of the salah. Understand? Tayyib. <coughs> um, we move on to the next hadith. Which is narrated from Wa'il ibn Hujr, radiallahu anhu. He said, Sallaytu ma'an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I prayed with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Fakana yusallimu an yameenihi. And then he made salam to his right hand side. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. And then to his left, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. 
hadith in Abu Dawood with an authentic chain of narration. Firstly, the Sahabi Wa'il ibn Hujr radiallahu anhu, he was known to be someone who was very strict when it came to the Salah of the Prophet Meaning, he took a lot of note. He used to watch him extensively and you have many hadith as narrated from Wa'il. Many hadith narrated from Wa'il ibn Hujr about the Salah of the Prophet Again, Dr. Shaykh al-Bani's book, you will see many hadith from Wa'il ibn Hujr. What's this hadith all about? The Taslim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Right? Firstly, when we do the salam, what does this mean? May peace and safety be upon you. Who are you saying this to? Huh? Basically, if you are making salah in jama'ah, you are praying for all of the congregation on your right hand side and the malaika in the congregation. And if you are making to the left hand side, all of the musallis in the masjid that you are praying with and the malaika. If you are praying by yourself and you say assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, you are only praying for who? For the malaika. Understand? But this is a dua now. You are sending that greetings upon those who are with you, meaning the malaika as well as the people who are making salah with you. Right? Wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. And the mercy of Allah and the blessings of Allah be upon you. Right? That was to the right hand side. To the left hand side, he said, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Without barakatuh. Now, what do we normally say in the salah? What do you normally say in the salah? Correct. We don't say wa barakatuh. Normally, right? Normally, we don't say. We only are taught to say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, right? Without the barakatuhu. This hadith says to the right hand side he added barakatuhu. Okay? However, the ulama differed over this hadith, over the authenticity of the hadith. So many of them said it's weak. Many of them said it's odd, shad, that there's an addition that's not authentic. And those scholars differed greatly over it. Right? The asal is most of the time, the Prophet used to say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. That is the most of the time. Right? So where does this fit in? Some ulama say it shouldn't be in because it's odd. And some ulama say now and then you can add it. Now and then you can add it. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Understand? Now and then. So that you act upon this narration. But majority of the time, you leave it out. Because most of the ahadith about the Prophet says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Understand? The barakatuh we say, now and then. Now and then, really. You know, you can use it. But otherwise, um, the general sunnah is what? Stick to. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Right? Another sunnah here is the turning of the head. That he turned to his right and said, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And then to the left and said, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Okay? <clears throat> so, we have the two taslims, which is obviously legislated. Can one make one taslim? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And that's it. Right? This difference of opinion again. The Hanbali scholars basically, they say that. Only in the sunnah you should do that, not in the fard. They basically say that, keep the fard as it is, like normal, 
Now and then you can do it in the sunnah where you just make once. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Only once. And if you do it like this, you don't turn your head to the right hand side. You only, you keep your head straight. If you're going to make one taslim in a sunnah, what do you do? You keep your head facing normal straight. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi And you're done. You don't turn your head to the right hand side only and not to the left. Understand this? Tayyib. <coughs> Janazah, you turn, you turn. To the right, yes. Uh, we'll discuss Janazah again. Right, we'll discuss, because some ulama say two. Right and left. Right and left. But we'll discuss that again, that's a different mas'ala again, right? Um, so turning the head, we say, is also sunnah. So my question is, with Mabshah, just so about the regards to Janazah, so we only say it once, you're turning it or not? Um, Allah knows best. We are we now? Turning the head, we say the sunnah. Right? Turning the head is a sunnah. Turn to the right. Assalamu alaikum. Properly. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Not, you know, half turn. You can turn your head nice and, you know, to the right hand side and to the left hand side. And there's no need to do this. You know, nod. And then nod into the left. You understand? Yeah. You just turn the head. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Okay. Um, <coughs> we take one more hadith. It's, 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 I think we know this to our already. From Mughira ibn Shu'bah, radiallahu anhu, anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kana yaqulu fi duburi kulli salatin maktubatin. He says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say at the end of every obligatory salah. Every fard salah, right? La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah. Lahul mulk wa lahul hamd. Lahuwa ala kulli shayin qadir. Allahumma la mani'a lima a'tayt. Wa la mu'tia lima mana'at. Wa la yinfa'u dhal jadd minka al-jadd. Hadithi Bukhari and Muslim. Right? So that's the full dhikr. That's the full dhikr. It's not just Allahumma la mani'a lima a'tayt. It's first... لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد على كل شيء قدير اللهم لا مانع لما أعطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد That's separate This is one ذكر by itself This is one ذكر by itself which is لا إله إلا الله أن اللهم لا مانع Right Another ذكر would say لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد على كل شيء قدير لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله لا إله إلا الله ولا نعبد إلا إياه له النعمة ولا الفضل ولا الثناء والحسن لا إله إلا الله مخلصين له الدين ولا كهل الكافرون that's a separate ذكر understand um, and then you get from the alkar of the morning and evening لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك والحمد على كل شيء قدير ten times morning ten times evening right that's the morning and the evening alkar um, طيب so, ten and ten Ten in the morning, ten in the evening. Then, then you get a hundred for the whole day. You get the whole, not just the morning. For the whole twenty-four hours, you can. You, you, it's a sunnah to say that same dhikr a hundred times. That the, the the ten is for the morning. If you do one ten, then you got both sunnahs done. You got the ten and the hundred. So that's done. You didn't. You acted upon. You see, if I, when I say the whole day, I mean you got the whole day to do it. You do it in the morning. That's the best way to do it because it's done. 
If, otherwise, you may not do it at the end of the day. After every salah, no. Well, then it becomes a bid'ah. Because now you're making it a sunnah. Or like a sunnah. Okay, then we'll check it up. Yes. Tahlil? I don't know about that. Not to my knowledge. No, we'll check it up. No, 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 no. We'll check it up. Tayyip, so firstly, um, this is for at the end of the salah, right? After we're done with the salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمُ الصَّلَاةِ فَاذْكُرُ اللَّهِ When you complete the salah, then remember Allah. When you complete the salah, then remember Allah. Qiyaman وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِكُمْ Sitting, standing, or standing, sitting, or on your sides, or laying down basically, right? So meaning this is something important. When Allah emphasizes it like this, it's important, meaning whether you're laying down like a person who's sick, you should still make the athkar after salah. Whether you're sitting down after the salah, you should, whether you get up, for example, you're in a rush, you prayed, and you get up and you go, you should, as you are walking, you should be doing the athkar after salah. It's emphasized like this in the Quran. Yes, you talk about Al Imran. Yes. That's Right? In this ayah it says, this is in Surah Nisa. This one is a bit more different. This one says, when you complete the salah. Remember Allah Qiyaman standing or sitting on your spot after salah or on your side even. So let's say you pray Fajr for example and it's ice cold. So first thing you do, you jump in the bed. That doesn't mean you, you can't make the adhkar after salah. You understand? You jump in the bed, you can make your adhkar. No problem. Okay, that's what the ayah is saying. Whether you're sitting, standing, walking around, laying down, Make your adhkar of the salah. Allah has emphasized it um, in the Quran. If, in fact, this ayah was revealed in about salatul khawf, the salah of fear in times of war. Still, Allah revealed this to say, remember Allah after the salah. So even for them, in that case, in jihad, for example, don't leave out the adhkar of the salah. That's how important it is. Allah musta'an. Okay. <clears throat> um... Right, at the end of every salah, this applies to after the salah, without a doubt. Right, end of every fault salah, not a sunnah salah. Um, then Ibn Uthaymin goes into a detailed explanation on the dhikr. And I'm not going to go into it because we discussed most of these things already. Like, la ilaha illallah. We discussed this shahada many times. There is none worthy worship except Allah. 
Nafi ithbat, right? Negation, affirmation, and so forth. Wahdahu, him alone, la sharika lah. What does sharik mean? I said yesterday what the word sharik means. La sharika lah. He has no partner. Sharik means a partner in Arabic. No partner unto him. So he is not worthy of worship except him. Wahdahu, him alone. La sharika lah. And he has no partner to him. Lahul mulk, walahul hamd. To him belongs all of the dominion and the kingdom and the sovereign. Everything belongs to him. He is Al-Malik, the owner of everything. Walahul hamd. To him belongs all praise and all thanks. Okay, that again we've discussed this many times. And he is able to do anything, every single thing. Right? He is the most able. Al-Qadir. He is able to do whatever he wants. Then we say, Allahumma la mani'a lima a'tayt. What does this mean? Oh Allah, there is none that can prevent what you give. There is none that can withhold that which you give. La mani'a lima a'tayt. Whatever you give, no one can withhold it. No one can prevent it from coming. If Allah decrees something for you, it's not going to miss you. Whatever Allah decides is coming your way, it's going to come your way. No matter who, or no matter what, no matter what happens, it's going to reach you. This is what we say of every salah to remind ourselves, Oh Allah, there is none that can withhold what you give. So praising Allah, acknowledging Allah's who He is, He's Al-Mu'ti, Al-Jawad, right? The one who gives, and nobody can withhold it. Right? No matter what, as we said, no matter what, guy sets up a shop in front of your shop. If Allah wants the risk to come your way, that it's going to come through that shop to you. Right? Nobody can withhold it. Whatever he gives. وَلَا مُعْطِيَ إِمَامَنَعَتْ What does this mean? And none can give that which you withhold. None can give us, none can give that which you withhold. If Allah holds it back, it's never going to come your way. It's never going to come your way. It will never reach you. If Allah decides this is not for him, it's not gonna, you can work your life away for that thing. It's not going to come your way. You can sacrifice everything to acquire that thing. It's not going to come your way. Which is not part of Allah's decree. Right? As This is similar to the hadith which is, ما أصابك لم يكن ليخطئك وما أخطأ وما أخطأ وما أخطأك لم يكن ليصيبك whatever befalls you was never meant to miss you whatever misses you was never meant to befall you this is the decree of Allah this is what we need to learn to live by and just to be pleased with and accept it you know ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد what does this mean and no wealth no wealth basically can benefit or prosperity can benefit the owner of that wealth before you. Before you. What does this mean? Exactly. A person can have everything in this world. It won't benefit them. It won't help them in front of Allah. In front of Allah, it won't help them. If Allah wants evil for a person, nobody can, nobody can prevent it. Nobody can reject it or turn it away. 
no matter what they have. He can be the prince and the king of Saudi, the prince and king of another country, the president of whatever country. If Allah wants someone to get to them, no matter what they own of wealth and power and possession, it will not benefit them before Allah. It will not benefit them before Allah. If Allah wants evil to reach them, nobody's going to stop it. Nobody can turn it away. Or does Allah say, أَيْنَمَا تَكُونُوا يُدْرِكُمُ الْمَوْتُ وَلَوْ كُنْتُمْ فِي بُرُوجٍ مُشَيَّدَةٍ Wherever you are, death is going to reach you. Even if you are in a high lofty tower, hidden away, protected with all the guards around you. All the, imagine you see some princess hidden away, high up in this tower there. Nobody can get to her. There's a thousand guards standing through the tower. She's as protected as you can possibly get. Allah says, even if you're there, the moat will come to you. No matter what you have, it will not protect you in front of Allah, before Allah. Because Allah is in control. means that that person of, owns, you know, something valuable, something wealthy, something powerful. It will not benefit him in front of Allah. This is what we are saying in this dua. It's a powerful dua and it really is, it's a beautiful dua and it's a reminder for us to say this every, after every salah for a reason. You don't, it's not actually a dua, it's a dhikr. You're not asking Allah for anything. It's a dhikr. La ilaha illallah wa ahtawla sharika lana wa mulka alhamdu ala kulishin qareer. That again shows us tawheedullah, the oneness of Allah, no partner. To him belongs all of the kingdom, everything in this dunya belongs to him, everything in the heavens belongs to him, all praises belongs to him alone. He's able to do whatever he wants. This already shows us the greatness of Allah, the tawheed of Allah. Then we say, to emphasize the point, Oh Allah, none can withhold what you give. And nobody can give us what you withhold. And no owner of wealth or power will be benefited in front of you. His wealth will not benefit him in front of you. This is a dhikr that truly teaches us the, the power of Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? It, it's a reminder that we say this after every salah to, to remind ourselves, you know, this is our status and this is how much we need Allah Azza wa Jal. This is the power of Allah and His decree. Allahu musta'an wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu ala ilahi la anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.